We have finally made it to Revelation chapter 6, and we have finally made it to the, the, tribulation, the tribulation. And we are looking at the fact of the judgments of God are going to come in three different uh, sections. They're going to come through the breaking of the seals, the sounding of the trumpets, and the pouring out of the bowls. Now, you're familiar with these. If you've read the book of... Um, if you have read this book at all, um, you are familiar with the, the bowls and... or the, uh, the seals and the, the trumpets and the bowls. Um, in fact, you see this all through. Let's just kind of take a gander through the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6, verse here, at the beginning, we see the first seal is broken, and then there's the second seal, third, and fourth seal. If we go over to the seventh seal, and this is in Revelation chapter 8, the seventh seal is empty, but it begins the trumpet judgments. As we get through chapter 8 and chapter 9, we have the, the trumpets. And then at the end of the trumpet judgments, we have the bowls. And these to pick up in Revelation chapter 16, where we have six bowls of wrath that are being poured out. Six bowls of wrath. So one of the things I just kind of want you to get in your mind today uh, is these set of judgments that are coming um, are interpreted in several different ways. Uh, some, for example, see these three these three sets of seven. Right? There are three. Uh, excuse me. There are seven seals that are broken. There are seven blasts from the trumpet. There are seven bowls of wrath that are pulled out. So some see that as happening consecutively. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then pick up the next seven, and then pick up the next seven. So that if you were going to take this throughout the seven-year tribulation period, some see these three sets of judgments from God as happening consecutively throughout the seven-year tribulation. Uh, others see that because it's seven years and in each of these um, sets of, ju of, of, um, uh, of judgment, sets of judgment, pouring out of God's judgment, it happens over a seven-year period of time. They see them not having consecutively, but coinciding with one another. In other words, the first seal is the first trumpet is the first bowl. And that there are just three aspects of the same first judgment that comes. And then there's the second seal and the second trumpet and the second bowl. And so that the, again, there, in this case, there would be seven sets of judgments that's poured out. And the first set of judgment would be a seal, trumpet, and bowl judgment. And then a second seal, trumpet, and bowl judgment. And third, all the way through. I believe that as we study the book of Revelation, what we will see is, is we will see not that these are consecutive and, and, and not that these are, are coinciding with one another, but I think that we will see that these judgments are, um, are being poured out uh, in a way that are um, increasing in rapidity. That means they're happening 
faster and faster and faster as time goes on. They're increasing in severity. They become more and more devastating as they go. And as we get towards the end of Revelation, it's going to be just after another, after another, after another, kind of like this. If you've ever been to see a fireworks display, that's kind of what I thought about uh, this week. When you go to see fireworks, there's always, uh, you're sitting there and waiting with anticipation and everything, and the first firework goes off, and boom, there it is, and you're like excited, here it goes, and then a few seconds later, another one goes off, right? And then as a, as a pr- presentation of the fireworks goes along, they become faster, you get more in the sky at the same time, but what happens at the end? For the grand finale, I mean, the sky is covered in the biggest, loudest, brightest, uh, all different types of fireworks there at the end in that grand finale. And you know it's the grand finale because no one ever has a grand finale that just shoots up one little firework of pop and it's over, do they? As we study these, what we're going to see is, is we're going to see the breaking of the first seal today. And in the breaking of the first seal, we're going to take our time to look at this and examine the Scripture and really try our best to understand what's taking place and going on here. Because we've got to see some things in the breaking of these seals that will lay the foundation for the the blasting of the trumpets, which will lay the foundation for the pouring out of the bowls of wrath. So today we're going to be really focusing on the first seal. But what we're going to see as we look broadly is the first seal, the first little aspect of, of judgment is set up and begins to uh, happen. And then it begins to kind of increase more. When we get to the sixth seal, in fact, some see that that it takes from seal one to seal four to get about all the way to the midpoint of the tribulation. So it's not that these happen and they're spread out evenly over time is that the first one happens and a little time passes and then the second seal is broken, a little time passes, third seal is broken. By the time we get three and a half years into the tribulation, three and a half years, we are only at the fourth seal. Okay? Um, four and five is going to happen after the, 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 the midpoint of the tribulation. And then when we get to the last seal, the last seal opens... And it's, there's nothing there, but it leads us to the first trumpet. So the last seal that's broken unleashes the seven blasts from the trumpet, which is a whole other set of judgments that again, now, that, now we're in the second half of the tribulation. We're in the last three and a half years and they happen with greater intensity and they happen with, with greater devastation. And just at the point where I'm certain the people on the earth would have thought, we just cannot handle anymore. When is it going to end? We come to the last blast of the trumpet. And rather than that being the grand finale and end and it's over, it just begins in even greater devastation and greater rapidity, greater um, uh, uh, severity, the seven vials or bowl judgments uh, that come. And so by the time we get through this, now listen, by the time we get through chapter 6, we're going to see today that in the beginning they're going to be saying peace and safety. But by the time we even get to the end of chapter 6, let alone 7 through 13, they're going to be wishing 
that they were dead and they won't be able to die. And they still have, from our understanding, looking at the book, Revelation 7, all the way through 18 uh, to go. I would remind you that when we talk about the tribulation, that we are talking about something that has never happened uh, ever on the earth, and nor will it ever happen again. We saw in Daniel chapter 12 that at that time, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. Now look at this. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. And this is speaking to the Jews. And uh, that there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book of life will be rescued. But a time is coming, a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. This is heavily Jewish. But when you think about from Genesis chapter, let's say 15, the start of the Jewish people, probably 17 officially, all the way through the exodus, the wilderness wanderings, and all the acts of judgment, and all the things that have happened to the Jews throughout the years, the devastation of the temple in AD 70 that destroyed all of their lineages and all of those things, the devastations happened through the years, even including the Holocaust. All of that pales in comparison to what is about to happen in this seven-year period uh, of time. But it's not just going to just be uh, on the Jews. Remember that Jesus said this, For then there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. So in Daniel, we see in the Jewish history, it's going to be more devastating than that. Jesus expands it and it says nothing in the world has happened uh, from that time until now, nor ever will. So we are looking at a unique, specific period of time, an appointed period of time, seven years. And remember, these are going to be so devastating. How devastating will it be? Jesus said, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Okay, So you're talking about a worldwide cataclysmic event and if Jesus Himself, if He didn't hinder, if He didn't stop, if He didn't cut those days short, no one would survive it. So I don't want you to think as we're looking at the tribulation that we're thinking about a terrorist attack. I don't want you to think that we're thinking about um, you know something that devastated that happens in, in, in one part of the world. This will certainly affect every area and every part of the world, and no life would have been saved apart from from them. In first John chapter four, verse one we see that, that the foundation for this tribulation and the, the powers that be behind uh, that tribulation and that the evil forces and all that take place are already at work in our world and they have been at work in our world since um, really since the beginning of time. But certainly since the begin, certainly since the days of Jesus. Look in First John chapter four verse one. John writes, "Beloved, do not be, believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God... Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And he says this. Now, this is what he says. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Remember, the Antichrist is the one who is going to come to the world. uh, uh, He's going to be the world power or the authority. He's going to enter into the temple. He's going to claim to be God. He's going to be worshipped as God. People are going to view the Antichrist as being God. They are looking for this one world leader that's going to unify and bring everything together. And that's going to be the Antichrist. But look, I want you to understand that this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming. Now look at this. And now it is already in the world. So, so what are we talking about when we're talking about the Antichrist? What are we talking about? Well, we're also talking about the man of lawlessness. Look in First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostle comes first. Then, and the man of lawlessness, lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So this man of lawlessness, this spirit of the Antichrist that is already at work and present in our world is the world system and the political system and all the conspiracy working behind the scenes and all of those things looking to put a single one world system in place that's going to counter and oppose God. And that spirit has been in the world since the beginning. But why hasn't the spirit of the Antichrist, why hasn't the man of lawlessness yet been revealed? Well, if you've been with us in our study, you know why. And that is because there is a restrainer, right? There's a restrainer. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now. So the restrainer is restraining the system of the Antichrist, the system of the world, the system of the man of lawlessness from fully coming into power and exacting and, 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 um, uh, his plans, fulfilling his plans and executing the plan in. He can't do it. He doesn't have the freedom to do it until that which restrains him is removed. And we have said before, so look at what it says, and you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work Only he who now restrains will do so. Now look at this. Until he, the restrainer, is taken out of the way. So when we look at our system, I want you to understand that, that we just do not have people who have different views and perspective of thoughts of the origin of the world We don't have people who just have uh, different thoughts and perspectives of 
um, uh, of the way things ought to be or a different set of values. What we have is, so it's not like it's not like that we're a neutral group of people and we have been blessed to hold on to a biblical worldview where Christ is our King and they have a worldview and it's their choice and that those two are actively working at equal in the world. It's not that at all. It's that those who are opposed to Christ and those who are opposed to a, a biblical worldview and those things, listen, are influenced, not just led astray by the thoughts and tensions of their heart, which is part of it, but the reason they're led astray is because they are under the influence of the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, and the, and the mystery of the man of lawlessness. In other words, there's more at work there in the life of an unbeliever Remember 2 Corinthians 4 4? The Bible says the little g God of this world is, is blinding their eyes to keep them from seeing the knowledge of the gospel of God. So I want you to understand that in your witnessing and in your sharing your faith with others, you're not just wrestling with flesh and blood. In fact, you're not wrestling with flesh and blood at all. Um, you need to understand that when you're talking to people and you're, you're, you're giving them clear truth from God's Word that seems so simple and easy for you to understand and for me to understand, and you don't understand why they can't get it, it's because the spirit of the Antichrist, the, the mystery of the lawless man is at work, right? Satan is at work blinding their eyes so that they cannot see, which is why... If you want to be effective in evangelism and effective in sharing Christ with others and effective in spiritual things, you have to be a person of prayer. You have to be. If we are going to conquer darkness, if we're going to overtake the world, Jesus said He will build His church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If we are going to advance the cause of the gospel in Christ, it's not going to be by force and it's not going to be uh, by course. It's not that we have this strategy in place that we do it. It's because we are a people on our knees and God uses us as instruments in the Redeemer's hands that we would go into the darkness and he goes with us and he must open the eyes of those who are blind. He must break the hearts of those hearts that are hardened. He must, he must allow spiritual truth to go in there because the spirit of the Antichrist and the mystery of lawlessness is at work leading people astray. Which is why I say, listen, listen to me carefully. There is no neutral place in your life spiritually. You are either striving and swimming upstream, pursuing God and holiness and all of those things, or you're being carried in the opposite direction. You're not, you're not, listen, this world system 
is not a pond with stagnant waters and we're just trying to make it to the other side, do the backstroke, do the breaststroke, dog paddle a little bit to get there and eventually we'll get there unless God comes and takes us by the hand and pulls us on over. No, 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 no. When we are striving to be like Christ, when we are pursuing holiness and godliness, listen, we are swimming upstream. It is not neutral. If you are coasting, you're going backwards, not forward, which is the reason I believe Bible-believing Christians who at one time held certain convictions and certain values and those things eventually come to the place because they're not continuing to pursue and to strive and do all of those things. Listen, they begin to be influenced by the spirit of the Antichrist in this world. And you think he's powerful now. Beloved, you wait till we get to Revelation chapter 6 and you begin to see him in the fullness of his power, in the fullness of his strength when we get there on that day and see what happens. I thought about this this week. I was provoked by um, a, a message I was listening to. <laughs> Remember, where are we in Revelation chapter 6? We are the church, and we are caught up. We are taken up. Look at what it says. And let's just read these two verses. John writes, And then I saw, and we're going to see I saw, I saw. Remember, John is in heaven, and everything he's looking at, he's looking at from an I saw perspective. I saw this, and I saw that. I saw this, and I saw that. So he's kind of like watching this play unfold, uh, if you would. Um, He says, Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and remember that God held out in His right hand a scroll, and Christ was the only one worthy to take the scroll. And they worshipped and praised Him. The elder said, Amen. And He takes that, and He broke one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with the voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, before the breaking of this first seal, and we've looked at this extensively in the past, I believe the Bible teaches that the church will not be on earth, but will already be caught up into heaven and be caught up into heaven and i want to just i want to just think for just a minute if you think about all the things that we have in the church now that help us in our walk with god that help us to mature in christ and that help us to grow i want you to think about some things with me Uh, for example uh, anybody find it uh, encouraging to be able to come together and, and gather uh, as a church and to have older, um, more mature believers, right, to pray for you? Anybody ever, ever, ever had that experience? You've had older, more mature believers who have shared wisdom and truth. Listen, from their experience walking in the world, you ever you ever experienced that? Anybody ever had the privilege of of going to sit 
uh, under a biblical counselor who has spent years studying the Bible and studying human nature uh, as it's declared in the Bible and, and, and learning to use the, the tools that help us to assess and diagnose and to speak wisdom into a counseling session. Has, has anyone here ever had the opportunity to um, use your spiritual gift, right, to edify one another, and you've been the recipient of other people's spiritual gifts? Uh, for example, uh, anyone ever had a person with the gift of mercy show them mercy? Anyone ever had a person, right, uh, with uh, uh, the gift of uh, pastor teaching, a pastor teacher kind of influence your life? If you've if you've ever had man, I just want to just want to think about this. You are the recipient now, though you've never been the seminary except for Martha. I think's the only Jason. You went to Bible College Seminary, okay, right? Um, but but you all of you are blessed and benefited by our Christian seminaries that are training pastors and teachers and and pastors you have uh, have toward. And even if you were involved in church where pastor didn't go to seminary, he studied and he learned from others. And at some point, some way, theological education came into it, right? The point I'm making is, is we are living in a day and time that all of us, and you've never even thought about it before, are blessed and influenced and your life is impacted, if you will, your life is impacted by the maturity and the longevity of people who have walked with God and have been used by God in a great capacity. I want you to think about this. When the church is taken up, at first, there will be no Christians on the earth. None. So you can imagine what the world will be like. The restrainer is gone. There, there's no Christian influence. There's no Christians upon the earth. The restrainer's not here. It is going to be a time of peace and safety at first before, right? Utter chaos and destruction begins to reveal itself and all of those things. But then we're going to see, and we've already looked at this, there are going to be people who are saved in the tribulation. But think about this. Those who are going to be saved in the tribulation are not going to have the influence of lifelong Christians speaking truth in their life. They're not going to have the influence of seminaries that they can go sit in classes and learn from those who walked. They're not going to be any biblical counselors. Everybody at that time that gets saved is at best going to be a babe in Christ on a fast track learning what all this means and what all this is about by reading and studying, perhaps reading books, listening to sermons online if God allows that technology to be there um, at that time. But I want you to understand the impact of that world. Think about the plight of those who are going to get saved in the tribulation period. The world is going to be much worse than the world is today. they're not going to have the advantage of mature Christians speaking truth in their life because they're not going to be any. How long does it take for a person to become a mature Christian? I, I, I don't know. How do they become a mature Christian? You can't pinpoint or document it. But one thing I do know is is that it's vitally important that we understand 
that we need the older generation speaking into the lives of the younger generation because that's a gift of God. You need to understand that you need to go see biblical counselors when there's a problem and come in for pastoral counsel when there's a problem because we have access to those things that need it. We need to take advantage of theological education and all the things that we have. We need to take advantage of preachers who are preaching and all of those things because those are gifts to us, given to us now. Do you realize how good you have it? Oh, do you realize how good you have it? You live in a world where there's a restrainer. You live in the world where the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and in the lives of the church. You live in a world where we have access to theological education, biblical counselors, and people who have spiritual gifts, and all these things. You and I have all You think your world's bad. You know nothing of the plight of the Christians who will be saved in the tribulation period. And I think because we haven't thought about that and because, because we haven't really contemplated and we haven't seen our world through the restrainer still being present and we haven't seen the plight of the Christians who don't have any of the advantages and benefits and blessings that we have who are going to be coming together trying to figure out this thing in that day. Friends, I think it's possible that you and I take um, for granted those things. I never, I, I never thought about that before. I never thought about that before. But you know what it does? And I can understand I'm not going to get anywhere near where I'm supposed to go today. But you know what it does? It makes me realize that sometimes we don't know what we don't know and we don't know that we don't know it. We are in a place of ignorance and have no clue thinking that we're at a place of knowledge. And therefore, therefore, we do not enjoy the blessings and the gifts and the grace that God has given us. And I just pray that somehow, some way, you and I would come to the place that we realize this world is bad, but it's not as bad as it could be because the restrainer is present. And your life as a Christian may be hard, but it's not hard as it will be if you were a Christian in the tribulation period. And that God has given us, according to Second Peter, everything we need for life and godliness right here, right now. Listen, we just have to take advantage of it. Do you realize when you sit down... T- and you open your Bible to read it. That no matter who you are and how long you've been here, unless you've just gotten saved and looking around this room, there's no one in here that has just recently gotten saved in the last couple weeks or last couple months. You sit down 
with your own time and experience sitting under pastor teachers, your own study, reading books, and all those things. You have all that influence helping you to read and interpret and apply the Word of God in your life. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, right? Convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. You you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. You have been given grace gifts of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen. All the overcomer promises are true found in Revelation 2 and 3. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And you have the audacity, and I have the audacity, because I'm not casting stones. Have the audacity to mumble and grumble and complain about how hard life is. May God give us an attitude of gratitude. May He open our eyes to see the blessings and the benefits of living in this age, in this time, at this place right now. And may we take advantage of everything that He has given us for life and godliness. And listen, let me tell you one other thing. You and I are doing ministry in this context as well. We're doing ministry in the context of a restrained world. We're doing ministry in the context of others who have gone before us and we stand on their shoulders. We're doing evangelism and sharing Christ, listen, from a position hopefully of maturity and have had years to study and go through evangelism training and learn different techniques and things along those lines. At the moment that seal is broken and the church is gone and the Christians are up, listen, no listen, no Christian on the earth at all. None. Not even one. Because if there was one, he would be caught up. The restrainer is removed. And the tribulation begins. And it begins with the breaking of the first seal. A couple things we've got to look at, and we'll look at them next week. There was a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer We need to understand who this person is and we need to understand what this person represents. There are seven that I could find, probably more, options for who this person is. Some say Christ because he's on a white horse. And when you come to Revelation chapter 19, Christ returns on a white horse. It's not Christ. Um, It's not him uh, at all because he is the one who is there breaking the seal judgment to bring that about. And so it wouldn't make sense for he to call himself to come since he's the one breaking the seal and going. There are a lot of similarities. Jesus does return on the white horse in Revelation chapter 19 and we're certainly going to study and get there uh, in that day. 
Um, but suffice it to say, and I'll go over it more next week, that it's not Christ. Um, others say that this is the advancing of the gospel. The advancing of the gospel. Um, that this one on the white horse goes about conquering the conquer, and he carries the good news of the gospel with him. Some say it's Apollo representing false Christians. Others see it as the Antichrist. They see this as an Antichrist. Um, as the Antichrist who is deceiving uh, and leading others. Others say it's the spirit of conquest. Some say it's the government persecuting Christians. And some say this devil's servants in general. We need to know who this one is riding on this horse, what this represents and what that's all about. And we're going to come to see that next week. I have the answer right here, but I'll wait and save it for next week so that we can do that. And we need to go through all four of these, four horsemen, so that we can understand what they are. Um, Manson said that the four horsemen were the Beatles. Uh, but, um, you know, that's a different story for a different time. Uh, you know, then there were others. There were a group of wrestlers called the four horsemen, and it's not them either. So we can rule out the Beatles and rule out, sorry, Eli, uh, the four horsemen. But we need to know who this is and what this one represents. But the main thing I want you to take away from today before we celebrate our fathers and end is I want you to see how blessed you are to live in the time in which you live. And I want you to understand that I believe, I believe in what's called the doctrine of imminency. And that means that Christ could come at any time. And folks, if that's true, and if Christ comes, now He may delay another 250 years. He may delay another. He can do whatever He wants to do. I'm not date setting. But I believe in my heart it's going to be sooner rather than later. And if that's the case, then you and I perhaps ought to take greater advantage of the world in which we live that is under restraint and employ the gifts that God has given us to bless and encourage and edify one another and allow the Spirit of God to go with us into this restrained darkness with the good news of the Gospel that lost people can be saved so that they too can experience life in the church age as we have it with all the blessings and benefits with which we are experiencing it rather than perhaps possibly in the age to come where they won't have the advantage of all the things that you and I have. If you have been walking with Christ for any time frame whatsoever, beloved, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to find a mentoring relationship with someone else so that you can... Don't be the know-it-all. you got to tell them everything you know. They don't want to hear that. But you would walk with someone... And when the opportunity comes and the time comes, you will show them what it means to be mature in Christ and how to live. You'll show them what it means to guard the tongue. You'll show them what it means to repent of sin. You'll show them what it means to make Christ first in your life when it comes to your giving and it comes to your going. That you will show them what it means to reach out for help when we need it. When we need biblical counseling, we go get it. We don't think we can handle it on our own. When we need to be... um, uh, 
the, uh, blessed by other spiritual gifts that we go and let others right love us and bear our burdens with us and 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 all of those things serve one another and all the all the one another scripture because we have the opportunity and time right now to be able to do that. So I want you to find someone who you can invest and pour into. I always say this, you need four relationships in your life, and I'll close. Four relationships in your life. You need somebody speaking truth into your life. I don't care who you are, how how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, you need someone who's more spiritually mature than you are, who you give the right and privilege to ask you the hard questions and to speak truth into your life. Secondly, you need peers. You need people come alongside you at the same place where you are in life, that you are holding one another accountable, that you are holding one another to be accountable for your tongue, for your attitudes and your actions, who can call you out and all those things, and you don't feel judged by them because you've given them the opportunity to speak truth into your life, and you're not going to be offended whenever they do. You need a, thirdly, you need a Christian that you are investing and pouring into and the things that are being poured into you and the things that you are gathering and gleaning and learning from your time of walk with God, you need to have that person that you are speaking truth into their life and you are mentoring them and helping them along on their journey to become more like Christ. And the last relationship that you need is you need to intentionally build a relationship with lost people so that you can win them to Christ. And beloved, I believe those are the four relationships that God would have all of us to have and to be in and to be a part of. And what a difference it would make in our church alone. What a difference it would make in our church if every one of us, every one of us could pinpoint those four relationships in our lives. I think that it would propel our ministry and propel our spiritual growth and maturity, and God would do uh, even greater things than what He's doing now uh, within us. God doesn't call us to be pacifists. He doesn't call us to be complacent or lethargic, but He calls us to be actively investing. To be a Christian is not about what you do. It's about what you are. And to become all that God wants you to become requires the family of God. It requires the church to come. So identify those four relationships in your life. And when you do that and spend time in God through the spiritual disciplines, you are being and doing what God would have you to be and do for such a time as this while we are awaiting His return. At any moment, Christ could take that scroll and break open the first seal in the world drastically and immediately and instantaneously changes altogether. May we take advantage of our time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. And Holy Spirit, thanks for redirecting our thoughts and attentions today. And Father, thank You for the privilege to take the things. Um, even as Jason said earlier, um, he, you, you brought these the things that He shared with us to His mind because you brought them to his mind. He's been meditating and thinking. He wanted to invest those things in our lives. And Father, even through this, these are the things that I've been meditating and thinking on um, this week. And I thank you for the privilege to be able to share these things with others. Father, I pray that you would just um, 
remind us that your word never returns void, that it always accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent out. And I pray, Father, that you would encourage us, renew us, and strengthen us. I pray, Father, that you would give us boldness to um, intentionally identify those four relationships in our lives. And, Father, I pray that you would bless each and every one of us and each and every one of those relationships that we would continue to grow in um, grace and likeness of Christ, that you may receive the glory for our lives. Father, we are thankful to live in a world where there is a restrainer. And Father, I just pray that we would be the most effective gospel witnesses that we can be, knowing that our time uh, uh, is at hand. We just love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray this prayer. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.